11, Exodus chapter 1 and verse 11. I want to read some verses here at the beginning of the book and then skip all the way to the back of the book and uh, read a couple verses there. But we'll start here in in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, when you're finished there, you can kind of find your place in Exodus chapter 40. If you would stand with me one more time, and if you would, as we open up the scripture in uh, Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, it says this. It says, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh the treasure cities of uh, Pythian and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with a hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service and in the field and all their services wherein they made them serve was uh, with rigor. Now, if you skip to the end of the book, Exodus chapter 40 and verse 34, it says this, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the cloud of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Lord, we love you, and we thank you again for this book. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I, I, this book begins with really with some bondage and with some heartache, and yet it ends in a very different manner, doesn't it? I love the way it ends. It ends with the presence of God among his people, and it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous book. Uh, the book begins with just that simple word now. It just begins with that word now. It's almost like it's a little bit of a continuation of, of Genesis. Those are about, uh, you know, three and a half centuries at some point in between there. Uh, folks have, have estimated that 70 souls with Jacob entered into Egypt. And, when, and conservatively, they estimated when they left after those 400 years of bondage, there was somewhere between 2 and 3 million people uh, that were with them when they exited. Um, Joseph entered in that time and, and some unique things about it, just history. We don't know these things, the exact time frame for sure, but uh, there was the, the Hyksos, I'm mispronouncing it, shepherd kings that were there in Egypt during that time. That was around the 15th or 17th dynasty. They were Semitic conquerors of Mesopotamia. Uh, however, as you know, if you would read Exodus, it said there arose a Pharaoh who did not know him. And they surmised that it was Ramses who overthrew those, uh, those Pharaohs and those kings and set up his kingdom and then put the people of Israel into bondage. That's a lot of surmising, but we know this. Uh, we know this, that they went in, if you will, the friend of Pharaoh, and at the, as they exited, they, were, they exited under great bondage after great bondage. But God gave, gave some tremendous things. The key verse of the passage is Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. I, well, I think as Christians we can say something very similar, can't we? Uh, the Lord our God brought us out of bondage, maybe not to a Pharaoh, but he certainly did bring us out of bondage to sin. And he brought us out of that, that bondage to sin and a slave to sin, and he's given us his presence. I, I love how the book begins with bondage and, and finishes with the presence of God among his people. Uh, that's what it began for us, for me, before May of 1995 at Madera Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. I, I was a bondage in bondage to sin. However, after I came to know Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moved in and took up residence. 
And we see that story unfold in the Old Testament, a new Old Testament picture of New Testament truths in the lives of us as Christians. It's a tremendous book. The name of the book, the word Exodus, probably, as you know, just comes, simply comes from a Greek word that means the way out. It was the, uh, it, it's, it's first word now links to Genesis, Levit, it's, it's first word of the book now links it to Genesis, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy all begin with conjunctions, making the Pentateuch one single book. If you'd read the beginnings of each of those books, you'd see it's just a, con, seems like a continuation from book to book as God would use Moses to write this book. But the story of it, the purpose of the book is really, it's a story of redemption, It's a story of redemption. The great theme of Genesis is creation, and the great theme of Exodus is redemption. Genesis begins with God and ends with man. Exodus begins with man and ends with God. In Genesis, we witness the birth of the Hebrew family, and in Exodus, the birth of a Hebrew nation. In Genesis, the priest who was introduced is the royal priest, Melchizedek, and in Exodus, the priest is the ritual priest, Aaron. But we see just different things that unfold throughout this book, and it's a reminder, really, it's a a tremendous picture of God's redeeming power. And God gives us, I love in Hebrews, I'm going to come to it later tonight, but in Hebrews it speaks of the law just being a shadow, just being a shadow. And boy, you can see in Exodus just a shadow of we, what we get to live and experience on a daily basis. Just a portrait, just a picture of the tremendous blessings of the Christian life. And the story of Exodus is that. It's just a, if you will, it's a picture. It's just an unfolding of, of God giving us a glimpse, them a glimpse of what we live and experience on a daily basis. The outline of the book, just in brief, the first thing we see is a deliverer in chapters 1 through 11. Uh, you, if you were to read those chapters, you'd see Israel's slavery in Egypt. You'd see the birth of Moses and the 40 years there that would follow, the call of Moses and 40 years in Midian, and the return of Moses and his announcement, and of course, then 40 years in the wilderness, and then his contest with Pharaoh. You'll see just how God would use a deliverer. Talk about a picture, and I, I don't mean to get too far into my message, but God always has used a deliverer. There's a lot of types between Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ and how he delivers his people. Deliverance in the book. In chapters 12 through 14, we read about uh, the deliverance that God gives. The institution of the Passover, another one of those pictures of God's redemption. That 10th plague as God uh, slew that, that firstborn. And yet we sing the song, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll use the phrase, when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you. That comes from the book of Exodus and how God leads his way through the blood. He leads through the blood. And boy, our redemption is through the blood. Our redemption is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he shed for us, that picture here in this book of Exodus, that story of redemption. The crossing of the Red Sea as God destroys the army of Egypt and God's power in redemption. God's power in redemption. The marching to Mount Sinai and as God would give the law and the many different, well, in a few minutes, but he would give the many different experiences they would, they would go through as they came to Mount Sinai. The song of the redeemed, the, the wilderness of Shur, and uh, not everything goes easy after salvation, doesn't it? Uh, not everything goes easy. You see that in the story. God delivered his people that it didn't mean uh, that everything went easy. Mara, the bitter water sweetened by a tree, a picture of the cross and what it does in our life. Elam, the faith, the fruitful Christian life as they found water there. In the wilderness of sin, how God would provide with manna and quail. Smitten with a rock, that rock was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amalek, Amalek destroyed and, or defeated and a picture of flesh is the flesh's defeat. Over and over again, you can go through this book and get picture after picture after picture of what God has done for us in our Christian life today. 
It's a tremendous book. The law, condemnation, the arrival at Mount Sinai and the agreement to accept the law. I think it's a it's an amazing thing. God would give them the law and the people would agree to it. And I may read the verses later here tonight. But and they said all that he will said, say we will do is what the people of Israel said. And I thought, wow, (laughs) no man has ever done that, have they? All that he has said, we will do, they would commit to. And, and obviously, none of, no man on earth could commit to that. And that law condemns, doesn't it? I, I, one of the great pictures of redemption also in this book is the, is the tabernacle and that picture of what God does for us. And inside of that tabernacle, inside of the, the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle was a copy of the law, teaching us that no man could live but, uh, by that law. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant sat the mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled, a picture of God's mercy and God's redemption by the blood, but the law was given. A blueprint and construction of the tabernacle in chapters 25 through 40, God would give us that tremendous pattern and picture. And boy, another, you could, you can make a study of that. I think I preached on it here before, but just the picture of the tabernacle and the redemption that God has offered us. This book is just filled with God's redemption. Genesis tells us how we all fell, (laughs) And Exodus tells us, begins to look at us, give us a glimpse of how God would bring us out of that fall uh, through the redemption of his son, Jesus Christ. We see Jesus in this book. He was typified in the life of Moses. Moses was the deliverer and God would paint a tremendous picture of his deliverance through his son, Jesus and him. The Passover lamb. We see the Lord Jesus in the Passover lamb. Hebrews would, would remind us of that. John the Baptist would, would lift his voice up when he saw the Lord and say, Behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. We see the Lord pictured in the Passover lamb, the manna from heaven. John, the Lord would say, I am the bread of life. The rock that struck at Horeb, a picture of the rock of Christ. The tabernacle, the brazen altar, the lampstand, lampstand, the table of showbread, the ark of the covenant. Over and over and over again as you read this book, you see pictures of what we have in Christ. I've heard folks said we only need to listen to the New Testament. The problem is the New Testament would mean nothing to us without the Old Testament. And the New Testament would be a great mystery to us if we didn't have that Old Testament. We wouldn't understand how sin came into this world. We wouldn't understand that fall of sin. We wouldn't understand God's plan of redemption. We wouldn't recognize Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, without the Old Testament. And Exodus is one of those picture, one of those books that gives us that. And I, I think of those Old Testament faith as they look forward to something, just a shadow of it. God was giving them just a shadow of what was coming. And yet you and I, friend, have the full blessing of redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a tremendous thing when what God has done for us. And I just want to look at some of these things tonight and from gloom to glory, when it redemption from gloom to glory. And the first thing that that verse there I mentioned earlier, Hebrews 10, 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, And not the very image of things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Boy, that Old Testament law was insufficient, wasn't it? Year after year after year, they made their sacrifices. And it it was an insufficient sacrifice. It was their faith in what was coming and what those sacrifices represented that produced an obedience. But there was a glimpse of it. And I think of what that is. The first thing we see is the bondage they experienced, the bondage they experienced. I, uh, it said again in those verses, therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh treasures of city of Pythium and Ramses, but 
The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and in mortar and brick. And all manner of service in the field. And their service wherein they were made them serve was with rigor. Boy, we get a, a picture of the bondage they were in. And of course, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis chapter 15 and I believe 13. He tells Abraham that his people would go into bondage for 400 years. And here we see that bondage truly and the brutality of it. And when Moses would show up on the scene and say, let my people go, it would only grow worse. They were slaves. They were slaves. They were made to make the brick. They were made to be slaves. They were in bondage and, and the bondage was heavy. And as their children were born, they would even take their children and those, those sons when they were born and they would try to have them killed. The story of Moses, we see that. But I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespass of sin, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Boy, God paints us a picture in that Old Testament. The bondage that they were in, the physical bondage that they were in, and yet the, phys, the, the spiritual bondage someone is in who doesn't know Christ. Dead in trespass of sin, under the prince and power of the air, the children of wrath and of disobedient. It didn't say that we were disobedient, and it said that we were children of it. In other words, we weren't the children of God. Boy, not everybody's a child of God. You be, you're, you're born again to become a child of God. You're born into this world, not a child of God and without God and separated and, and sentenced to a, an eternal uh, damnation and separation from God in the lake of fire. They were in bondage. They were in heavy bondage. They had no choice but to be a slave. And I, and I think of the person without Christ. They are in sin, in bondage to sin, and sin is what they, a sinner is what they will be for all of their life without Christ. Bondage. Sometimes you can look back at your life and you can see it. I, I don't think we should linger in a backward look, and, but I think every once in a while we should take a good glance back over our shoulder at where we were without Christ. Whether you were saved out of great sin or whether you were saved from being in all of that, every man needed Jesus. I'm thankful that I trusted Christ roughly 15 years of age, but I grew up in a Christian home and God prevented me from going into a lot of things and other people, you know, were in it. But both of us had the same problem, sin in our heart. And sin, a sinner is what we were and sin is what we did. And we were bound to the consequences of sin. Boy, sin is ugly. I I get frustrated sometimes when I, seems like sometimes in our world that preachers don't preach as much on sin anymore and What disappoints me so much about that is they're trying to ignore, when you ignore sin, you ignore its consequences. And sin is ugly. It is ugly. Not that long ago, you know, some preachers, it seems like there's three things that bother me, and I may preach on one of them already, I may preach on another one, but seem to be making us rounds again. It's uh, the Bible that you hold to, the doctrine of Calvinism, the false doctrine of Calvinism, and, and alcohol. It seems to be those things are coming back in the church. And boy, the Bible, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you don't have your Bible right, it'll mess up your whole life. Calvinism will rob you of your witness. And alcohol will rob you of your testimony. And how it just ruins the lives of people. And 
Yet what we see in this passage of Scripture, God gets us an Old Testament portrait of how destructive that bondage is. And friend, without Christ, someone is in that same bondage. That same bondage. Uh, the bondage they experienced, the cry they made. I like Exodus chapter 2 and look at verses 23. It says here, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel uh, sighed by reason of the bondage. And they what? Cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac, with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. Verse 7 of chapter 3. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Boy, they were in bondage, and that bondage produced, if you will, a cry. Yeah, you ever look back? Remember the day that you made your cry to God? For me, it was May of 1995 in Arab Baptist Church. I knew that I was a sinner. I had been taught it my whole life. I knew what Jesus had done for me. And that night, I decided it was personal. And that faith that was born within, that I knew I was a sinner, and I was on my way to hell, and that Jesus was my answer, produced a cry. Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. Well, we see God's redemption in this passage of Scripture. Bondage. Brutal bondage to the consequences of it all. And then you see a people under the weight of it all lift up their cry to the Lord. Well, I tell you what, as far as it goes today, without that cry, there's, there's no saving, is there? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. There's a need to cry out. I mentioned this in my, uh, our teacher's meeting tonight. But this re- last week I was witnessing to a guy and uh, his name was Skyler. And I was witnessing this guy went through the plan of salvation. He's having a, uh, you know, made some horrible decisions in his life. And as I came to the end, I, I prayed with him and I said, let me ask you this, Skyler. Is there anything that would keep you? Is there anything that would keep you from praying and trusting Christ? And he stopped for a minute. He thought for a minute. And he goes, would I have to give up my pot? <laughs> would I have to give up my pot? And uh, I talked to him a little bit about how, you know, if you were in a dark, I used the illustration, you know, if you're standing in a dark room, you don't go shoe darkness shoe, do you? You go flip the light on. And the light shine, shut, shut gets the darkness out of the room. It's not that you chase darkness out, you turn the light on and it chases the darkness out. I said, Skylar, I said, what you have to do is go, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know this is wrong. Forgive me and Lord, help me get victory over it. And I'm trusting in you. I said, you know something, Skylar, if you do that, God will help you get rid of it in your life. Uh, he wouldn't go from there, but no cry is what the problem was. He didn't realize, well, he was under the heavy weight. His life was a wreck. It was a mess. Matter of fact, he's homeless. His life was a wreck, but the, rate, the weight was there. The bondage was there. His life was marked by it. You could see it, but there just was no cry yet. No cry yet. There has to, there's that cry that comes from the heart of a man when he says, my life is a wreck. Sin has had its way and I'm going to be destroyed. Hell is my destination. But there is one in Jesus who died on the cross for me, who rose again for me, and he lives for me and I'm going to put my trust in him. Lord, save me. And a life is changed. 
a life is changed. And we see this in this passage of Scripture, the bondage they, they experienced, but the cry that they, they made to their Lord, the deliverer that God sent for them. Moses occupies one of the most prominent places in the page of Scripture. He, he is one of the most important Bible characters. His name occurs over 700 times in your Bible. The record of his life presents a series of interesting parallels to Christ. Like Christ, he was born under the threat of death. Boy, old Herod was trying to kill our Savior, wasn't he? Hunting him down, the Lord, they would have Mary and Joseph have to take him into Egypt to flee. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? God used Moses to deliver people out of Egypt. The, Joseph had to take Jesus down into Egypt to escape. Like Christ, he was reared in obscurity. We don't see much. We see a little bit about the life of Moses. We knew where he grew up, but God doesn't tell us. He doesn't linger on about those days, those first 40 years. He tells us much about what would take place as he led him out, but not much of those early times. And the same thing for the Lord Jesus. We get a little glimpse up until his, up in his years before 30, but not much of it. Uh, he, God, like Christ, Moses came to his own, but, but was scornfully rejected. Boy, Moses faced his rejection. And a matter of fact, when God called him, Moses said, what are, they're not going to believe me when I show up. <laughs> and the Lord would say, put your hand in your, in your, clo- in your, in your garments there, and it would come out leprous, and he'd put it back. But he was rejected. Like Christ, he took a Gentile bride in Zipporah, and obviously our Lord Jesus Christ has in the church taken a Gentile bride. But there's a lot of similarities between the life of, of what God would portray in a, the type of Christ in, in Moses and in his life, how God would send a deliverer, and what God has done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent to deliver. There was bondage. There was a cry. And God said, I've heard your cry and I've sent to deliver. And I'm so thankful for a God who saw our bondage, hears our cry and provides a deliverer in our life. That he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, that we might be saved, that we would not remain in bondage because, friend, we deserve the bondage. We deserve the bondage. And yet God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son to die for us, to rise again for us. And there's that incredible picture of, of what God had in, a, in, in the deliverer that God sent, the power that God displayed. Exodus chapter 12, if it's not on your outline, you can turn there. It says this, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt... Will I execute judgment? I am the Lord. God would execute his judgment against all the gods of Egypt. God would show his great victory. The Nile, as you know, was turned to, the, was turned to blood. The Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt, and it was sacred to their god Osiris. And yet God would defeat it. It would show its defeat in turning it to red blood. Frogs, I'm going to try to pronounce this name correct. Heko was the frog-headed goddess of Egypt. It was offense to the goddess to kill frogs, and God would send those frogs, and no doubt they would die. Lice, Geb was the god of the earth, and God would cover it with lice. Flies, beetles, and and things of that nature were sacred to Ra, the sun god, and God would send those flies all over. The the, the plague of the cattle, the moraine, Egypt was a land of, of, of idolatry, even when it came to animals, and they worshiped animals. Apis was the black bull that was worshiped. Mummified bulls have been found in the pyramids near Memphis in Egypt, and God would kill their animals. 
God would send boils and the, the priests of, of these gods had to be spotless and God would let those and they could not serve in their temples without it. And God would cover them with bowls, boils, hail. God would send hail upon Egypt in a land of no rain felt fall. Egypt receives less than an inch of rain a year. Isis was the god of air, and yet God would show his victory over it over and over and over again. You could go through each one of these things and see some of the different gods that they worshipped in Egypt. And God drove them into the ground every time over and over and over and over again. Reminds me of the Philistines when they had the Ark of the Covenant and how they brought the Ark of the Covenant into their house Dagon and over went Dagon overnight until he broke. God showed his victory. I, I love to le- read the story of Christ. And over and over again, God proves who he is. He not only tells us who he is in the Messiah during his life, but he proves it. He would forgive sin. He would heal disease. He would calm creation itself. He would cast out demons over and over and over again. Our deliverer would show his power. And finally, he would prove his power over death as he would die on the cross and rise again for our sin. I love the verses in Acts. I've quoted it before, but uh, in Acts it says this, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Because it was not possible. I love that verse, Brother Anthony. I love that one. I love Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. And I love a lot of verses, but I love that one. It was not possible. Tell the world it seems impossible that one could rise from the dead. But with God, it was impossible that he would stay there because of his power, because of who he was. And we see in the redemption story, we see the power of God unfold. You see it in the book of Exodus as God is like taking this this coloring book and drawing a picture for us of what he would provide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would say, let me put my power to redeem on full display. On full display, the bondage that would be there by the greatest nation on earth at that time. And yet God would hear the cry of his people in the midst of all of that. God would send a deliverer because of their cry. And, and he, would, he would let that power of God be on full display as he led his people. As he led his people straight out of Egypt. There's no sin that God cannot give victory over. There's nothing more powerful than our Then our God, we see the blood that was shed in Exodus chapter 12, 12 through 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy it. When I smite the land of Egypt. Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 1 Peter 2, 24, who is his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead in sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. Boy, God gives us that picture in the Passover lamb. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And it hasn't changed today, has it? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood that he shed. I, I, I love the verse in Hebrews where he said, I am the author and the finisher of, the, looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I like it for a couple reasons. Number one, he said author and finisher. 
the author of our salvation. Before the foundation of the world, he planned it. He demonstrated it, the first sacrifice in the Garden of, uh, of Eden as he clothed Adam and Eve with the skin of animals. We would see the blood shed there and as in Abel's sacrifice. The patriarchs laid down in the law and all the way through the scripture. And finally, the last sacrifice offered in the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us the remission of our sin when we trust in him. The author and the finisher of our faith. I love the fact that it says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You sit down when you're done with something, don't you? It is finished. He did his work and he sat down because he's done his work. And he's going to stand up one day, isn't he? When he comes back for you and I, he's standing back up again. But the work of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the, the, that what he had done through the blood of Jesus Christ. And friend, he loved us so much that he redeemed us with his blood. The blood that was shed, the position that was received. If you were to skip to Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6. There is that law came. It says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The position that was received, that Old Testament, those folks were, were there in Egypt, and, and yet God called them out, and he said, you are my people. In all the people of the world, you are mine. You know what happened the day that you were saved? Of all the people in the world, you are mine. You're mine. You belong to me. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you're my child. You're a chosen, genero- chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And, and he would say, you were in times past, were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Heaven is our home because we are his children. That really, often when we think of salvation, we think first of escaping hell and experiencing heaven. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but but heaven is really the benefit of being a child of God. What we gained at salvation was that we were born again. We became a child of God. And as children of God, we became joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus' inheritance is in glory. And because we're his child, we now have an inheritance. And that inheritance is glory. But I'm his. See, friend, when you walk outside of these doors, you'll be different than every, well, except for us in here, but different from a whole lot of people out there. You are his. You're his. You're his child. You belong to him. These people were the people of God. Boy, they had the power to hurt God. They had the power to anger God. They had the power to please God. Because they were God's. They belonged to him. I think, Christian, you know, we have the power to hurt God. To anger God. To please God. Because we are God's. We belong to him. We are his child. We have an inheritance and glory. And I think of this, you know, so many times. And we see in the law, no man could keep the law. And and we know this in that picture, but there's a tremendous picture of this, of sanctification. 
there's a tremendous picture of God wanting someone to be different when he called. You know, God called his, at, at Abraham out of the land of Ur. God called his people out of Egypt. He also wanted them to get Egypt out of them. He wanted Egypt out of them. He didn't want them living like Egypt. He didn't want them behaving like Egypt. He wanted them living for him because they belonged to him. And you know, Christian, you and I belong to the Lord. And he set us apart to belong to him. And there is to be something different about the people of God. It should be obvious that we are the people of God. And you see that in unfolding in Scripture as, as God says, you're my people. That's a tremendous privilege to be the people of God. It gives us great hope for, for what lays ahead of us. And uh, they had the hope of the promised land and God called them out. And the position that they had received, the presence they had gained. And I'll be finished. If you go to the very end again, we'll read these verses at the very end of Exodus one more time. And it says, then the cloud in verse 34, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereupon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and the fire was upon it by night in the sight of the house of Israel, the presence of God among his people. There was a day... When God would walk with his people in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. There was a day when Adam and Eve would experience that close relationship with God. And there was a day when they chose to eat of the tree and break that relationship. And God has always had a desire to have his presence among his people. And here the Lord gives this tabernacle. A tremendous picture of God's presence. Of course, you and I know this. The Bible says we're a tabernacle of God. No, not that your body is the, te- is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That Holy Spirit of God moved inside of a Christian. And what is the way to the presence of God? Well, that tabernacle painted the picture. It had an out- outer fence, if you will, around it, and there was one eastern gate, wasn't there? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There was one way into, the, into that courtyard, and it was the eastern gate. There's one way into the presence of God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately, you'd come to the altar, and there at the altar, the blood was shed. It's all through the blood, friend. It's all through the blood. Beyond the blood was the brazen laver where those priests would cleanse themselves. Daily, they'd wash their hands and their feet as they went about their their ceremonial processes. But once when they entered into the priesthood, they would cleanse themselves completely ceremonially. Picture of once saved, always saved, friend. One time. Cleansing by the blood of Christ. You'd go up to the tabernacle, getting closer to the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, and you'd enter into the tabernacle, that first outer room, and you would find the, you'd find the lampstand. Jesus is the, bread of, or the light of the world. You'd find the table of showbread. He's the bread of life. You'd find the altar of incense, a picture of our prayer going up before the Lord. And then once a year, that high priest could go into the tabernacle if he went about it the right way, and there was the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was. And inside of it was a copy of the law that said... Condemned, condemned, condemned. But on top of that, uh, that Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat where the blood was sprinkled by the blood of Christ's atonement into the presence of God. Into the presence of God. Friend, for me it was May of 1995 at Madera Baptist Church. Into the presence of God I came. Or better yet, the presence of God came here. I came to know Christ as my Savior. By way of the blood and the Holy Spirit of God moved in. 
and his presence was brought into my life. And one day, friend, one day, I will see him face to face. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. The presence of God. Redemption. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the ones who saw it? One day they were making bricks. A few years later, they saw God's presence descend on the tabernacle. What it must have been to go from the bondage of Egypt to the presence of God. To one moment been crying out, God, save us from this bondage. Save us from this heartache. To the next, look at the presence of God in my life. And God has painted us that picture in Exodus that reminds us of here. Friend, if you don't know Christ, you are in bondage. You may not know it yet, or you may not be ready to get out of it yet. By the way, people of Israel from time to time wanted to go back, didn't they? Boy, it's sad sometimes to watch Christians sometimes want to go back to what God saved them out of. Sometimes they do. They want to go back to what God saved them out of. The redemption that God offers. The redemption that he offers. He paints this incredible picture of it to know and experience the presence of God in our heart and in our life. I think, Christian, that's what it was always about. God's presence in our life. Exodus reminds us of the redemption that was needed for the problem that was exposed in the book of Genesis, sin. And only by the blood is the redemption of Christ. And God saved you, friend, so that he could be with you and so that you could be with him. That's why he saved you. The other things are the benefits and the blessings of knowing him as your savior. But the privilege and the blessing of redemption is that you get to know God. That he takes up residence in your heart. That you get to walk with him and talk with him. And one day, you will see him face to face. Why? Because we have been redeemed. Redeemed. From Moses, the picture of the deliverer, to the way God brought them out through the plagues and through the blood, to the tabernacle, this book is so loaded with pictures. To be frank, they had pictures in a shadow. We have the full blessing of God. They had a glimpse, but, but we get it all. We get to experience the full redemption and knowing the Holy Spirit of God in our heart, the opportunity to walk with Him. No man stands between me and the Holy of Holies, by the way. Can you imagine? You can it in, and I'll be finished, but... On the outside, I believe I on the outside, as though God laid out those tribes around the tabernacle, the tribe that was on the outside of the gate was Judah, right? Praise is what it meant. Enter into his courts with praise. You'd, you'd pass through praise on the way into, into the courtyard, into there, into the, where the tabernacle was. But you never got to see that. And by the way, friend, if you and I lived in the day, we wouldn't even be the Jew. We'd be the Gentile. We'd be outside the camp. We don't even get to get that close. (laughs) But you and I, who'd be on the outside. Us who'd be on the outside, God says, Come boldly before my throne of grace, that ye may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All because of the redemption that we have by way of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the blessing of redemption. I'm thankful for your son who died for us. But I'm thankful for an Old Testament picture that makes so vividly clear what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we never be negligent concerning it, especially our relationship with the Lord, the privilege of your presence in our life. I remember well the day that you that you saved me, the day I came to know Christ as my Savior. And what I am thankful for what you've done in my life even since then. Lord, it's a privilege to be a child of God, to tell others about the Lord. I pray that as we leave tonight, we would be reminded of what you have done for us, that you have saved us, that you've given us your presence in our life, that you've made us your children at great expense, Lord, at great expense, the expense and the price of your own son. Lord, we were in bondage, but now we know your presence. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you this where you're at in your seat. How many of you can say, preacher, I know that I'm saved. I, there was a time in your life when you bowed your head and you trusted in Christ and you know that you're on your way to heaven because you could say, preacher, I know the Lord. I give you a Bible reason. There was a time and place when I trusted in Christ as my Savior. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand just between you and I and the Lord? Thank you. you may put your hand down. Is there anybody say, preacher, I'm unsure of my salvation. I'm not sure about it, but I'd like to know Christ. I'd like to know him tonight. If that's your testimony, would you just raise your hand between you and I and the Lord? It's a Wednesday night, I know, but I trusted Christ on a Wednesday night in church, and I wouldn't want you to miss it. How many of you would say, preacher, the Lord has reminded me or spoken to my heart about what he's done for me? Maybe just a reminder of, of the price of what we have. Sometimes you get a good glimpse of where we'd be without him in these passages scriptures, and then just exactly what he did to give us the redemption and the salvation and the presence of God in our life. But if you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this evening. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord this evening. Maybe it's just to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you for the presence of God in my life. Well, I don't take it for granted. I, I think of how that tabernacle, the people of God would move at each turn as that cloud would move or that pillar of fire would move, the presence of God would move, they would move. And I think of that spirit's leading in our life. I ask you, friend, are, are you moving as he moves? Are you letting God work in your life? It would be sad to be saved and have the presence of God in your life, but to live without his guidance in our life. Those folks in that Old Testament, they moved every time God moved, they followed him where he would lead. And let me ask you this, Christian, are you following where God would lead? Are you letting your day be guided by his working in your life? Or are we too busy living life that we fail to seek his will? But as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord.